Well, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Jonah. We'll be studying Jonah chapter 3. And uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin Turner. I am the youth pastor here. So I oversee the middle school group and the high school group. And uh, it is my joy to preach God's word with you. I know my, my dad is running around here somewhere, so it's good to have him here. He lives locally in the area. My mom runs the resource room down in the children's ministry. But I'm especially uh, happy to have Kim's parents, James and Kathy, with us here tonight. I won't try to embarrass them or anything, but they live down in Temple, and they are able to, to make it. Uh, they have uh, put up with me for over 19 years so you can tell that they are patient, loving, gracious people, but it is very good to have them here tonight. Uh, Tom mentioned after the service that uh, you're going to get ice cream. And so how I take that is they looked at the schedule and say, hey, who's teaching on the 14th? <laughs> oh, it's Justin. Oh, thinking he was going to show up? I don't know, man. What are we going to do? I know. Ice cream. <laughs> ice cream. That's okay, because you know what I want? I want ice cream. So I am more than happy for that to happen. It is good to be here tonight. I have enjoyed uh, Joshua's lesson last week on Jonah 2, and Jonathan kicked us off with Jonah 1. But I wanted to start real quick with uh, the theme of the book of Jonah. The theme, and it is God's mercy on repentant Gentiles, which is a beautiful book to have included in the Old Testament. Because this would shock the Jews. This would amaze them. And we'll look at later how Jesus brings that up to teach a special lesson. That God is not only the God of the Jews. He is also the God of the Gentiles. But we see God's mercy, his grace, compassion, his love, his long-suffering on these Gentiles whom he calls to repent. The ones that we would view as vile and outside of the promises of God... God viewed as his mission field, and he sent Jonah to preach to them, and they are going to repent, and we will look at that today. A brief outline for the entire book would be, first of all, number one, God's mercy on Jonah. We see that in chapters 1 and 2, and then chapters 3 and 4, which we start tonight, is God's mercy on Nineveh. God's mercy on Jonah and God's mercy on Nineveh. And in case you haven't been uh, the other Sunday nights for our brief study here, Jonah 1 was taught by Jonathan, and he called it going in the wrong direction. And you're very familiar with the book. But remember, Jonah was called to go to Nineveh to preach the gospel. And Jonah went the exact opposite direction. There is this city that was going in the wrong direction. And they were headed towards God's wrath and God's punishment. And Jonah was supposed to go preach the gospel to them or to go preach that God was going to punish them unless they repented. And Jonah ran away. And so God caused the storm to come upon and the sailors who it all appears that they came to know the one true God threw him in the ocean and all of those things. He was going in the wrong direction. And then in Jonah 2, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days... Joshua taught on how salvation is from the Lord. We would expect God being a wrathful God, being a God of vengeance, to just swallow up Jonah, to let Jonah drown. But God still had a purpose for Jonah, and so he actually rescued him, even though the prophet had been nothing but disobedient. And in the belly of the fish, Jonah eventually cries out to God and asks to be delivered. And at the end of 
chapter 2, it says the Lord commanded the fish and he vomited Jonah up on the dry land. And some of you read that and you say, you know what, Lord, just, just let me die. If it comes to being vomited up by a fish, you can, just, you can just have it eat me and digest me. I don't really like the thought of that. But God is not done with Jonah. Salvation is from the Lord. And our title for tonight is Going in the Right Direction. It took me a long time to come up with this. And I, I'm kind of thinking as a way of to forgive for the whole ice cream bribe. Um, Jonathan, you think of is, is, is the, you know, the, the judgment guy, the going in the wrong direction guy. And I get to be going in the right direction guy. So you can think of it that way. We're going to see Jonah is again going to be commanded, but this time he's going to follow. And the city that was running towards sin and was rampant with violence and death and immorality, they're going to repent. And they're going to go the right direction. There's a, a little bit of a preview for next Sunday night. Uh, the title is going to be whatever Vikram names it. <laughs> and so I, I, I didn't see Vikram. He might be here tonight, but no pressure, buddy. But we are all waiting for what you would call Jonah 4. There are three parts to our outline for Jonah chapter 3. And the first uh, point would be Jonah listens and obeys. Jonah listens and obeys. Please follow along with your copy of God's word. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. As we are going in the right direction, Jonah listens and Jonah obeys. We saw at the end of chapter two that he had just been vomited out upon the land, and God gives him three specific commands that he is to follow. What are these commands that Jonah is to do? First of all, arise. Pick yourself up. Move on from the situation that you had been in. You were in the fish. He spit you out. Now you need to get up. You need to get going. But then you next to need to, to go to Nineveh. Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city. When it says great city, it most likely is pointing to the amount of people that are there. But this is a, a pagan city. This is a wicked city. This is a city that does not love God and does not love justice and does not love righteousness. And most Jews would think, well, there you go, Nineveh. Take that punishment. You deserve it. You deserve it. But again, God graciously calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, the people that he had so despised previously. And then what's the third command? He is to proclaim to it. And it's a simple message. Proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. Hey, Jonah, do exactly what I'm telling you to tell them. And what is the message? The message is that they need to repent or they will be overthrown. And naturally, if the creator of the universe gives to you a special message and commands you to do something, you would you'd think you'd do it, Right? But we're a little surprised here that Jonah actually followed through. 
We saw what Jonah was commanded to do, and now we're going to see what Jonah did. Well, Jonah arose. Jonah went to Nineveh. Jonah proclaimed to it. Proclaimed to it. Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, it's very easy with a narrative, with a book like this, to kind of dream a little dream and to think of things that might not necessarily be true. And I love that our creator gave us his word right here in a book. It's not a movie or a YouTube clip or anything like that. There are things that we don't know exactly how they happen. You kind of get the romanticized version that at the end of chapter 2, the fish vomited Jonah up. And then God says, arise, go to Nineveh and preach. And then Jonah's army crawls and gets himself up. And he's like bleached and stinky and got fish residue. And he just walks on into the city. And he goes and he, he spreads a message. And everyone's like, gross, there's the fish guy. He just got vomited up. Let's listen. Well, that preaches really well, but in reality, it was a month's journey to get to Nineveh, all right? Nineveh was nowhere near the ocean here. Now, it could be that the fish had a really wide range, all right? Okay, God is a, a good God, a powerful God. It could be something like that, but most likely not, where when he got out of the fish, and Jonah's wondering what next, and God says, I'll tell you what next. You are going to take that month-long journey and you are going to go all the way to Nineveh and you are going to proclaim to it. Now, it says that it's a three days walk to, to go around the city or to go around that area. And how long did it take for Jonah to get his message out? He went one day and he cried out. And we don't know, okay, we don't know about Jonah's enthusiasm we don't know how enthusiastic he was about this. There was a, a time that I got desperate, and so I planned a, a youth trip to Arkansas. I know about Arkansas. I'm related to half of Arkansas and things along those lines. And we went to a place called Magic Springs. You ever heard of it? No. No, you haven't. Okay. Let me tell you, there are no springs, and there is certainly no magic. And one of the ride operators was, you know, the, it was the ninja. And they were, had a mic, and they were supposed to sell it. And they're like, hey, what do you know? You guys join the ninja. You're going to love it. Hi, y'all. And it was the most depressing thing ever. It was a horrible sales pitch. And most likely, you were going to die if you got onto that rickety thing. Did Jonah just go about, hey, you guys need to repent. Hey, you need to repent. Did he have one of those cool sandwich signs, the end is near? We don't, we don't really know, but it really seems that Jonah is going in the right direction and Jonah is doing the things that he's supposed to do. I mean, God gave him a vivid reminder of what it means to disobey him. So he goes in and he genuinely preaches a simple message, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. He didn't have to explain who he was, all right? He didn't have to... Uh, expound upon the message there. He just simply walked through. He said the words, and then we're going to see what happens next. Jonah listens and obeys. Now, if some of this looks a little bit familiar to you, that's because we already saw these same commands in Jonah 1. Now, this isn't a, a separate outline. We're, we're going back a little bit to Jonah 1. And in Jonah 1, God commanded Jonah to arise... 
to go to Nineveh and to proclaim to it. And what did Jonah do? It says in verse 3, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish. So he arose, but then he ran away, and then he kept the truth to himself. It says he went so far as to run from the presence of the Lord. Chapter 1, Jonah was going the wrong direction. Now he's going the right direction. So what is different this time? What is different? Well, obviously you've been following along. The end of chapter 1, verse 17, it says, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. You may have heard the phrase, prison changes a man. Being swallowed up by a fish and living inside of its belly for three days changes a man. And Jonah had time to to think about his reaction to the Lord. And he had time to think about the graciousness of the Lord. Jonah is a perfect picture of God's mercy. Jonah disobeyed and God didn't even need to bother with the storm. He didn't even need to mess with the fish. He could have just crushed Jonah or uh, obliterated Jonah. But he was merciful and patient to him. And we see in chapter 2 that Jonah cries out to the Lord. He says, while I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Jonah had time to think about his life. He had time to think about his God, to meditate on the character. And uh, Joshua did a great job of walking through the different scriptural elements that Jonah recalled to mind when he was during this difficult time. And so now Jonah is going to get a second chance. And he is going to do things correct this time. He is going to follow the Lord. And I want to take a little bit of time to talk about how we apply this to our life. Because we really love to pile on Jonah, don't we? (laughs) Jonah, can't believe you do that. Pretty simple what God was calling you to do. I know you hated the Ninevites and they were your enemies. I know you probably feared them. But come on, man. It's the gospel. Or we look at Peter, and remember the story where Jesus is walking out on the water, and the disciples are all scared, but Peter said, Jesus, let me come too. And so then Peter starts walking on the water, and you're like, this is cool. Oh, but then Peter, he doubts, doesn't he? Starts to sink. I can't believe you. Well, where were the other dudes? They were still in the boat. At least Peter gave it a shot, right? We like to look at the people in the Bible sometimes, and we think, oh, I would never do that. That would never be me. Well, let's take a moment and let's just consider a few things in our own personal lives. What does God command me to do? And by me, I mean you and me. What does he command us to do? Well, clearly, we know we are supposed to proclaim Christ. We know the Great Commission. We know that all authority has been given to our Lord and Savior. And he has commissioned us to go into the world and to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. We are to teach people that they are sinners, they need a Savior, and the only Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
who lived a perfect life, died on the cross and rose again, and that they will go to hell unless they repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're called to do that. We're not picking on Jonah anymore, are we? Think for a moment how many opportunities have slipped through your fingers that you didn't take because you were scared or you were nervous or you were lazy or you were selfish. I can think of times in my own personal life. Come on, Jonah, go to Nineveh, preach the word. Oh, you didn't do it. I can't believe you. Oh, what about, what about me? What about that coworker? What about that neighbor? What about that family member that we're skirting around everything except for what is most important? Obviously, when God commands Jonah, we expect him to obey. Well, God is commanding us. And the beauty of it is we have so many of his commands recorded in his holy word. And all we have to do is read this book and we will see command after command after command. Are you sharing the gospel? Are you seeking opportunities? Are you just sitting there hoping that something falls in your lap? Sometimes you have to make and create the opportunity that's there. I'd like for you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 because we're also called to model Christ. And this is really all-encompassing, but there are so many beautiful truths in this passage that I wanted to walk through. We're not going to be able to cover all of it in depth. But as we're considering Jonah and how he's going in the right direction, we need to take some time in our own life to say, look, if I am in Christ, these are things that I should do. I should be proclaiming Christ. I should be modeling Christ. Ephesians 4, verse 17, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you no longer walk just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. So Paul's saying, I'm saying this, but I'm saying this in conjunction with the authority of the Lord. Don't walk as the Gentiles used to. They were darkened in understanding. They were excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, had given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Ah, but you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and you put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. You see, we all need to understand, if you're a believer, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. But when you place your faith in Jesus, it's as if you died with Jesus, and then you are raised anew. And you are a new creation, and now the Holy Spirit indwells you, and you live your life for the glory of God, to model Christ to others. Specific ways that looks like, verse 25, therefore laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you. Verse 26, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. So don't lie. Don't be angry. Verse 28, he who steals must steal no longer, but he must labor performing with his own hands what is good so that you have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, 
but only such a word as is good for edification. It's not just don't say gross, yucky words. Say things that are encouraging and loving and building up so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So all of these things, just like we are commanded to spread the gospel, we are commanded to put aside bitterness. We are commanded to love. We are commanded to forgive. Chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or impurity or any greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. We are commanded to proclaim the truth, but we are also commanded to live out the truth and to model it. And if this isn't convicting enough, let's go to point number three. God commands me to do whatever you're hoping I don't bring up. You were hoping something didn't show up in this list. We have a lot of, of kids here tonight. Were you hoping I wasn't going to bring up honor and obey mom and dad first time with a happy heart? I did. Husbands, were you thinking that I wasn't going to bring up Loving your wife as Christ loves the church? Wives, were you not thinking I was going to mention to, to submit and to be a helpmate to your spouse? Oh, we could just keep going, can't we? But then the ice cream would melt and you would come after me, but we won't. But I just want you to think through as we consider Jonah and how foolish it was for him to think that he could tune out God and run from his presence. Don't let that be us. Don't let that be us. I want you to ask yourselves, do I obey? Whatever it is that's on the left in this category, am I obeying it? Well, if you are a Christian, then the patterns of your life simply are obedience. Well, the second part of our outline, we saw that Jonah listens and repents. Now we're going to see how Nineveh listens and repents. Nineveh listens and repents. Well, it's a little surprising that Jonah does this. I mean, he's a Jew after all. He's a prophet. He should get it. This pagan, wicked, vile, nasty, gross city is going to listen. And they're going to repent. They're going to repent. You see in verse 5, Jonah first records what happens with the people of Nineveh. The people of Nineveh. The people of Nineveh believed in God and they called the fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth and sat on the ashes he issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king, 
and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water, but both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. Let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. And who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we do not perish. The word for God is, is Elohim, the all-powerful one, the creator. And it says they believed the message. They believed in God. And then what did they do? They then acted on that belief. And I, I'd like for you to turn to Judges 10. Turn in Judges 10. In our youth reading plan, we've been reading through the book of Judges and studying the, the different cycles of disobedience and defeat. And you know how the story goes, right? God would be good to them, and so they would naturally forget God. And then God would send someone, a people, to oppress them. And then eventually they would cry out to God because then they would, you know, need him again. And then what would he do at the end of that cycle? Well, he would send a new deliverer to rescue them. Well, and this cycle's been going on for a time, but in, in Judges 10, something interesting happens. Verse 6, it says, Then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the sons of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines. Thus they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. Look, they, they found every imaginable god out there. And they served them, every one of them, except the one true God. They forsook him and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the sons of Ammon. They afflicted, and they crushed the sons of Israel that year for 18 years. 18 years this goes on. They afflicted all the sons of Israel who were beyond the Jordan and Gilead in the land of the Amorites. Look at verse 10. Then the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Okay, it took, a, it, some people it takes a little longer. A little longer. 18 years of this, and then they finally go, ah, you know what, God. Yahweh, let's cry out to Yahweh, and let's see how that works for us. The sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, we have sinned against you, for indeed we have forsaken our God and served the Baals. And what are we thinking? We know who God is. God, oh, yes. I, let, me, let me rescue you. Let me send a deliverer. Let's go. Because God is good and gracious, right? Verse 11, the Lord said to the sons of Israel, did I not deliver you from the Egyptians, the Amorites, the sons of Ammon, and the Philistines? Also, remember the Sidonians, the Amalekites, the Maonites oppressed you. You cried out to me, and I delivered you from their hands. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will no longer deliver you. Uh, what? Oh, that's not how it works, God. I'm in trouble because of my disobedience. I'm coming back to you, and you're supposed to rescue me, but you're saying, no, you're not going to. Hmm. Look at verse 14. God says, go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of distress. Ooh. So the sons of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So then they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. 
and he could bear the misery of Israel no longer. Do you get what happened? They still were worshiping these idols, and they're like, oh, hey, God, save us. And he goes, no, that's not going to happen. And they go, you're right. And they tossed aside those idols, and they kept with the deeds of repentance. And he said, okay, I'm here. I'm going to rescue you. Well, those in Nineveh believed in God, but then they also fulfilled the the deeds of repentance. The, The belief was sufficient, but they exhibited the belief by their actions. They call the fast, verse 5. They call the fast, and then what did they do? They they put on sackcloth, also in verse 5, from the, the greatest to the least of them, every single one of them. It didn't matter if you were rich, if you were poor, if you were good looking, if you were ugly, whatever it was, every single one of these people, you are going to humble yourself. You are going to fast to show the Lord that you believe in him. And then you have the king of Nineveh. The king of Nineveh, and what is he going to do? Well, it says in verse 6, it says, When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne. He laid aside his robe from him. He covered himself with sackcloth and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water, but both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. He arose. He laid aside his his kingly robes. He covered himself as as someone as, as humble with sackcloth. And he sat in the ashes. And then he went so far as to issuing a proclamation. And then in verse 9, he says, who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that he will not perish. He didn't expect it, but he appealed to God. Can you imagine what's, what's going on here? I mean, imagine if, if a prophet just, just walked into Boston. Just walked down the streets of Boston saying, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the city did it. And the mayor repented. Imagine if they walked to New York City and just said, hey, Jesus is coming back. You need to get right with the Lord. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. And New York City listened. Imagine if they went to Las Vegas. Sin City, right? That's how wicked and gross Nineveh is. That and far more. And imagine if you went and you simply preached the message and in one day's time, they listened. How is this possible? Jonah's a good salesman, right? No. God is a gracious God. And God is a powerful God. And he knows exactly what he's doing. This is a miracle. This is a miracle. The rich, the poor, they are crying out to God. Now, you do have this question. Some would debate, even good and godly men have different you know, angles on this. Was, is, was their repentance genuine? Was this just kind of a get out of hell free card that they were looking for type of thing? I want to walk through this for just a moment. Some would point to the fact that Nineveh was actually destroyed later on. Nahum 
one of the books of the, the Bible, right? one of the, the minor prophets, the theme is the destruction of Nineveh. So Jonah preached, they repented. Later on, Nahum is talking about and he's prophesying the destruction of Nineveh. Well, in that, Jonah was written, or the events were around 760 B.C. So the book of Nahum, the destruction and all of that happens later on. Nineveh was destroyed around 612 B.C. So it's very likely that you do have a generation that came to know the one true God and served him, but those after walked away. There are some other things that lead me to believe that uh, the repentance is genuine and true. The word in verse 5 used for believed is also used of Abraham in Genesis 15, 6. Then he believed in the Lord and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. The same word is in, used in Exodus. When the Israelites see the miracles of the Lord in the deliverance, it says, when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And I think this is a helpful kind of case study for us to understand what most likely happened in Nineveh. Those that were with Moses, there were many that saw the great deeds that God did leading the people out of Egypt. They saw the parting of the Red Seas and they genuinely believed in Yahweh, the one true God. They genuinely did. There were also others in the crowd that made a profession or maybe they were impacted by the events, but they didn't genuinely believe, which you see um, later on the, the issue with the golden calf. So in Nineveh, there are those with this simple message that is preached that are going to truly come to know the one true God, but obviously not every single man, woman, and child is going to believe. As a whole, there is this belief and there is this action associated with it. I'd like for you to turn to Isaiah 55. Isaiah also writing about salvation and encouraging people to forsake their ways reminds us that true belief always is associated with what? True repentance. You can't separate the two. If you truly believe, then you truly have repented. Uh, even our Lord in Mark 1.15b, all right, every youth's favorite Bible quiz verse that they hope they get to pick, repent and believe in the gospel. Isaiah says in chapter 55, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy uh, wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. He is picturing the depraved person apart from God, which describes Nineveh. The unbeliever has nothing to buy their salvation with. They have nothing to earn their salvation with. So what do they do? They go to the source that is God in verse 3, incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Skip down to verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked... Forsake his way. And isn't that exactly what Nineveh called to do? Isn't that, they said, look, uh-uh. They didn't just say, hey, let, let's cry out to, to Jonah's God and see if something will work out here. They really said, our ways, we must forsake them. Let's forsake them. And the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and the Lord will have compassion on him. 
and to our God, and he will abundantly pardon, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, there may have been more to Jonah's message that isn't actually recorded, but you see that there are genuine people in Nineveh that realize that their ways are not God's ways. And that their ways of wickedness lead to destruction. And so they turned from those wicked ways. They forsook them. And they believed in the one true God. They believed in the one true God. If you don't believe me, let's ask Jesus. If you're ever confused about a matter, you can go see what Jesus says. And in Luke 11, Jesus references Nineveh. I'll, I'll give you time to, to turn there. Luke 11, verse 29. As the crowds were increasing, Jesus began to say, this generation is a, a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. And our ears perk up. Sign of Jonah? This must be the whole three days in the belly of the fish, right? Is, is this the sign that he's talking about? Verse 30. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they what? They repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So the Lord affirms that there will be men and women from Nineveh that will stand up in judgment of the others who refuse to repent. But we also also have more to this story. We have have another verse. And we can see in Jonah 3.10 that God listens and relents. So this repentance is genuine. This belief is true. God listens and relents. And so our three main points, as we're going the right direction, Jonah listens and obeys. Nineveh listens and repents. God listens and he relents. Going back to the theme of the book, we're studying God's mercy on repentant Gentiles. And here we get to see it on full display in the the beautiful words of verse 10. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. He didn't do it. He had every right to do it, yet he is a merciful God. And so he visited them with his mercy, and he relented and did not destroy them. And this is the outcome that God wanted all along. That's why God wanted Jonah to go there. He wanted these people to be saved. I want to take a moment, and I want you to consider God's mercy on you. God's mercy on you. 
In a group this large, it could be that there are some that are here because mom made you or because your wife made you or because you think it's the, the, the right thing to do. You think you, you're earning some, some brownie points with God, but you have never truly repented and placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As you consider these wicked men and women from Nineveh, I want you to realize that God saw their deeds. He knew their heart. He knew their thoughts. And he judged them to be unworthy, and he was going to pour out his wrath upon them. But when they heard that news, they, what, turned from their wicked way, believing in God and his offer of salvation. And so therefore God relented concerning the calamity. Look, if you are an unbeliever, the judgment of God is coming for you. It's true. He knows your thoughts, he knows your deeds, he knows your ways, he knows the wickedness of your heart, and there will be judgment. But if you hear that news, and you turn and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, just like Nineveh, he will have mercy on you. You have nothing to offer God. Yet he still wants to save you. He still desires for you to have a right relationship with him. What a beautiful God that we serve. What a gracious and merciful God. And, and those of us that are in Christ, we say, thank you. Because we know we were no better than Nineveh. Yet God chose to save us because he is good and gracious and loving and merciful. God will listen to you and he will save you if you cry out to him and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how are we going to conclude this great chapter? There are a few things that I want us to walk through. And this is an old school teacher trick. When it comes to the end of the lesson, there's something that I, I want you to know. There's something I want you to understand. And then there's something I want you to do. When it comes to the know, I want you to know why we are here. I want you to know why we're here. And, and you know the chief end of man, right? I could ask you and you'd give me the Sunday school answer. You would say, I am to what? I am to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That, that's why I'm here on this earth, okay? But he has made me for that express purpose. Consider Jonah. Why was Jonah there? Jonah was there to further the kingdom. Jonah was there to be an instrument for the Lord to use to bring others to himself. And at first look, Jonah said, no, thank you. He went the wrong direction. God graciously brought significant events into his life to change his mind. I want you to consider and to contemplate and to meditate on the fact that you, Christian, are still here on this earth to further God's kingdom. You are here to preach the gospel to the unsaved. You are here to live it out, to model it, but then to preach it to them. And then for believers, we are here to build them up and to edify them. And you go, ah, Justin, I got this. I kind of know that already. I want you to think of your, your, your week. What was last week like? Did you spend it to the glory of God? 
Did you do anything to advance his kingdom? Did you do anything to build up your brothers and sisters in Christ? We can get caught up with fun. We can get caught up with work. We can get caught up with some things that they're not bad in of themselves. But they're not our main reason. They're not why we are here. You see, Jonah didn't understand why he was there. He was there to do what God told him to do. We are here to further his kingdom and to build up his people. I want us to understand something. We need to understand, really, really understand that salvation is in the Lord's hand. And that goes back, obviously, to even what Joshua taught last week. Verse 9, salvation is from the Lord. God didn't have to give Jonah another opportunity. God didn't have to warn the Ninevites. God didn't have to save them. Salvation is totally in the Lord's hand. It's not the messenger. It's not the messenger. And I I think that's why some of the details about Jonah's ministry, we, we don't know. We don't know what he looked like, if there were effects or scarring from from being in the belly of the fish. We We don't know all the words that he said. We just know that Jonah... You got a loved one who needs help? Are are you going to ask Jonah to go do it? (laughs) Probably not, right? It's not the messenger. And sometimes we feel that our family member or our coworker doesn't come to know the Lord because I'm not good enough for that to happen. It's true. You're not good enough. But God is good enough. It's not the messenger. Remember the whole thing with Moses and he was supposed to go and say, "Let let my people go? And what did he say? Ah, me no speaky so good. Can you send someone else? God's like, nope. There's no one else on this mountainside. It's you, buddy. But Moses didn't think he was good enough, which, was, which is a good thing, right? But God showed him, I am good enough for you. I will provide for you. It's not the messenger. It's also not the hearer. It's not the hearer. All men, Ephesians 2, are dead in their trespasses and sins. Why did the people of Nineveh respond? But the people of Sodom and Gomorrah didn't respond? Why did these Gentiles immediately in one day's time repent? But when God sent Jeremiah, they over and over rejected him. And he, they were God's people even. It's not the hearer. Salvation is of the Lord. So how does that change us? We pray to the Lord and say, God, may I please rely on you. And I would ask that as I I share your truth, that you would prepare the heart of the one that's listening. And I ask that you would be pleased to save them, not because my presentation is so nifty. And it's so well put together. And because I have all of these Bible verses memorized. Please save them, not because they're a good person, because they're not. Please save them because you're a gracious God. And it is fully within your character to be merciful. And I pray that you would have mercy on this person. But when we don't understand that, we try to do things our way instead of doing them God's way. Well, lastly, there's something I want you to do. There's something I want you to do. 
First of all, I want you to, to be excited to see the sinner saved. And uh, I believe Vikram will, will look at that next week in, in Jonah 4 and uh, how Jonah responded to the things that were going on. But, but be excited to see the, the work of the Lord. Like when you read this, you get kind of pumped. A whole, a whole city, 100,000 people. I mean, this is woo. Be excited to see the sinner saved. But then I also want you to boldly share the gospel. To boldly share the gospel. Don't dogpile on Jonah. Learn from Jonah's mistakes and go in the right direction where you now open up your mouth and you share the truth. Because there are people that are going to hell. There are people that are living in total uh, spiritual darkness. And who is it that's going to share with them? You going to hope someone else comes along? Or is it going to be you? And in a moment, Seth and the music team are going to come up and they're going to sing a song. And I wanted to walk through a couple of the, the lyrics of this song so that we could really meditate and, and sing out this as a prayer to our Lord. And it says, facing a task unfinished. Well, what's the task unfinished, right? The, the, the gospel, the furtherance of the kingdom. Facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees. A need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease. So you see just in these lyrics, I must have a dependency on God and I need to stop being lazy. We who rejoice to know thee renew before thy throne the solemn pledge we owe thee to go and make thee known. We go to all the world. Don't sing it if you're not going to do it. Don't you dare if you're not going to do it. We Christians, we go to all the world with kingdom hope unfurled. No other name has power to save but Jesus Christ the Lord. Think through these words. Make them true in your life. Go and share the good news of Jesus because God is merciful. He will save, but he needs us to share his message for him.